Hey listeners, this is Denise, part of the pit crew at Web ROI, and we are here to help you win the race online. We have created this podcast to help business owners and managers like yourself crush their marketing and get the best return on their investment. So join Caleb and me as we visit the must-haves for an incredible marketing strategy. To learn more about us and what we offer, visit webroi.ca. Welcome back, listeners. This is our second episode in this format. We're so happy you rejoined us after that first one. Yeah, thanks for joining us, guys. Yeah, in our first episode, we talked about our ROI pyramid, which is going through different marketing strategies and when you should be investing in each one and the types of return and how to get the best return from those. And it was it was quick. We went through all the levels very fast, but that very first level, the base, that pyramid, is the conversion rate optimized website. That's right. So, and so base, base of the pyramid uh, obviously means that it's important. So why is it so important? Why, why do we always say that it needs to start with a conversion rate optimized website or, or, you know, why might it be more difficult without one? Because before we start investing in marketing and before we do all this marketing activity, it doesn't make sense to bring all that traffic to your website if it's not going to do what you want it to do. And so we've dedicated this second episode, our whole podcast on how to have a converting website because it's that important. It has to come before the marketing. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think it's, you know, it's foundational. We always talk about if somebody's looking for a business nowadays, the first thing they do, you Google that business. And if you can find the business, you click on their link, you end up on their website. It needs to look good or needs to function. It needs to do what it's there to do. Because if it, if it can't, then you essentially just lost that lead. You've lost that sale right away almost. Yeah, it's your first impression on the digital world. That's right. Yeah, I guess I guess you could almost think about it like if your your website is sort of the curb appeal for your home. Yeah. Except for your business. So you know, your website needs to have that curb appeal. It needs to look good. It needs to function. It needs to do what it needs to in order for you to make that sale. Same way as if you were selling a house or anything else that needs to look good to, to be sold. Totally. Yeah. So let's chat about what you need to have or what should some common elements of a converting website have and contain so that. Um, you can check, does your website have it? Are there improvements we need to make? What, what does that look like? Definitely. So let's start with contact information. It, it seems so basic. It seems, of course, you need to have your contact information on your website. That's what you want people to do. Assuming you want people to contact you, if they land on your website, they need to know how. Yeah. And there are certain places that I think uh, most users will navigate to a website and expect to find that contact information there. Would you agree? Yeah. I, I definitely think so. I mean, it happens to me all the time when I'm visiting a website that, you know, if I need to reach out to somebody or let's say I've ordered something online and something's gone wrong, first thing we always do is how do we contact them? Is there a way for us to reach out to them? Is there a phone number that I can call them on to find out how to communicate with them? And again, flipping it on its head and thinking, okay, well, if I need service, I'm actually in need of service. You know, I'm looking for a mechanic or I'm looking for, um, my furnace has stopped working. It's minus 10 degrees outside. I got to call someone because I need to get a hold of them right away. So if I'm looking for an HVAC company, I ended up on their website and I can't find a phone number to call them because I need the service right away. Well, I'm going to move on and find somebody else who has a phone number. So oh, especially if you're in emergency services, your totally. phone number needs to be front and center and above that fold. And when we say above the fold, it means before you start scrolling down, whether that be on mobile or on your desktop, when you initially land on a website, if you offer emergency services, your phone number has to be there. Absolutely. Has to be there. Yeah. 
Now, there are other ways people can contact you, of course, because maybe you don't want phone calls. Maybe you don't want a flood of phone calls coming in and you prefer an email or form. Um, Even, Caleb, you mentioned the chat feature. Whatever it is you want them to do. Maybe you even want them to make a purchase. You don't want them to contact you at all. But when somebody lands on your website, it has to be very clear um, what the action that you want them to take. And so let's just, let's go hang back and talk about, so assuming the action you want them to take is to contact you then um, somewhere in the header, and typically it will be in the top right, you would want to have that basic contact information. So whether that be your phone number and like a contact us button that pulls up as a form, or um, we don't advise it, but you could have your email up there. There, something in that top, somewhere in the top and usually in the top right is where you'd want to have your contact info. Yeah, and exactly to your point there, Denise, no, I, I think all of us are kind of almost expecting it to be there. Anybody who's, you know, who uses the internet regularly, that's kind of that place where you expect to see either the contact us button or again, a phone number. And then similarly on mobile, uh, obviously a mobile website looks a little bit different than a desktop. So still making sure it may not be in the top right in that case, you know, maybe right along the bottom and it stays along the bottom if you're scrolling through the site, but making sure that you just always have some way of allowing your customers and your clients to find as, as simply as possible to find how to contact you, or again, to Denise's point, to find out what are they going to do on the website? What is the desired action we want them to take? And how can we make that as easy for them as possible? And I think that kind of sums up the whole idea of, of you know, conversion rate optimization that we, we really just want to make it as simple as possible for the user to get the information they need and to complete the action that, that is desired. Yeah. And I think it's really important too, that all websites have a contact us page so that even if you're not entirely sure where the information is throughout the site, there should be a page dedicated to your contact information, which you can then easily find on the site. And that contact information page needs to have whatever you want your users to know. So your phone number, a form to contact you, your address is a mm-hmm. big one. So if you have a storefront that you want people to go to, you got to give them your address, ideally with a map integration. Um, something that we like to do too, it is quite common is that on the footer. So at the very bottom of the website, you're going to want to have your address there as well as your phone number. And the reason that is also, um, it's a great SEO tip as well, because now you have your address, which is your local area on every single page of your website. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. I was going to bring that up that on the SEO side, having it, uh, again, you guys, uh, SEO, search, search engine optimization, excuse me. And, uh, just making sure that Google is also able to see your website, to look at your website, figure out who you are and where you are. Uh, And so including information like your phone number, like your address is important on the SEO side, which again is all part of the conversion because Google is looking always for a consistent NAP, and that's your name, address, and phone number. Now we'll get more into detail in this in another podcast where we talk specifically about SEO, but making sure that you've got the same phone number, the same business name, the same address listed everywhere online is really important. And so including it in places like on that contact us page, or Denise, like you mentioned, adding it to the footer, a great way to make it very easy for Google to see and ensure that you've got the right information there uh, consistently. Yeah. And then on top of contact information, we talked about call to actions. So a CTA, we're probably going to throw that out there, a bunch of this acronyms, but what is it, what is it you're trying to get people to do? So if it's a purchase, um, maybe your CTA is buy now or shop online, shop your products, different things like that. Uh, You could have request a quote, request a service, different uh, CTAs that way. And so CTA placements can be really important as well. You don't want to just have scrolling and scrolling of information without a button indicating what you want the person or your client, potential client to do. So let's talk about CTA placements and uh, 
where those should be. So a rule of thumb, you know, should never be more than what, two to three scrolls without seeing one. Yep. Um, they should stand out. They should be a color. They should be different than the background of your website. Like it should look noticeable. Yes, I agree. Yes. And, and I think as, especially in talking about websites as a whole right now, uh, we often have this idea and a lot of businesses do as well. You know, you want this like state-of-the-art gorgeous website that's super sleek and almost hyper modern well and and we've run into issues like this ourselves where we try to set up a website like that and then we realize that people landing on the website actually don't know what to do or where to find what to do because you almost can't see it so to your point earlier about you know making sure that the cta is a different color that it's very noticeable if you're kind of hiding it in a corner or you know you need to move your mouse over a certain area just to see the button it makes it very difficult for your users to actually figure out what am i here to do and how am i going to do it so being sure that they are so very clear that people can't miss it is really important because that's how you're actually going to drive those leads. And that's how those leads are going to get into contact with you or complete a purchase or whatever that desired action is. I love that point. And for that example, I always like to reference like the Apple website. So Apple, they're branding, right? Like everybody yep. knows who Apple is. They don't need to explain who they are. Their websites are gorgeous. They move, yes. they have all these unique different things that flow and it's, but you'll still always find the blue CTA of buy now, compare phones, right? Like That's even right. Apple does it and they don't even need to because the users would poke their way around and figure out how to get that iPhone. Yeah. Um, but it's still just having that clear indicator there. And so, and so there's certain areas of the site. There's a flow of the site that needs to make sense. So as um, there's natural reading patterns, so we read left to right. And so when I talked about having that contact information in the top right, it's because your eyes tend to linger where it finishes. So you read typically in a Z pattern or a Z for our American friends, and you'll go left to right, down diagonally to the bottom left, and then over to the bottom right. So we call them kind of hotspot information. So you'll have your logo up at the top left. You'll have your contact information in the top right. People will skim down through the middle through that diagonal. And then you're going to have some hotspots on the footer as well right. or at the bottom of the page. So just having that kind of pattern, um, the F pattern is another common reading pattern mm -hmm. as well. So kind of just indicating where those hotspots of where your eyes will land can really help you uh, place different call to actions or buttons there. Absolutely. Now, I think another button that we often refer to internally um, that we, we haven't said yet are, are funnels. And so right. we, use, we use funnels and, and Denise, you mentioned, you know, above the fold earlier. Uh, and again, that being not needing to scroll or to see this sort of information, we like to include what we call funnels on websites. And so funnels are essentially another button that is placed there. And we like to do ideally four is kind of the goal. And they are the most common services or, you know, the top products or top categories for any, for whatever that business is offering. And the reasons that we like to include those there is again, simplicity. People hit the website, you know, they're, they landing on, on, let's say they're landing on Apple's website. They're likely going there for an iPhone or an iPad. And so uh, now Apple, I don't believe has funnels like that on their current site, but if they were to, they would likely pick something like, you know, the iPhone, the iPad, then a MacBook and something else because they know that people who are landing on the website are looking for that specifically. Uh, so Denise, what, what other, you know, what do we really try to do with funnels or, or what other insights can you add into why we we find so much success with using funnels on websites? Well, just like you said, funnels should represent your, usually your highest, your revenue making yeah. uh, the highest revenue product or service, but also what are you trying to 
push? What are you trying to sell at that time? So if you are a patio furniture company and you want to have umbrellas because that's like, you know, a big push for you. So you have an umbrella funnel and it's a beautiful umbrella with the word umbrella with the shop now, you know, or shop button right on there. The other one next to it could be patio covers because maybe that's it. Um, patio furniture and patio accessories, let's say. But then when somebody lands on your site, they clearly see their your kind of top name products and it funnels them right to that page as opposed to trying to have to navigate through a menu. And you can make menus simple. You can try and do your best you can. But as you get more and more products and services, your menu tends to get more cluttered, which Absolutely. is just, there's nothing you can do about it, right? You have to have everything on your menu. So keeping the funnels as your clear top sellers or your top products or your top services just gives users an easier way to navigate their way to that page. Yeah. And so that's kind of, we talked about the flow of the site and then, you know, that's funnels and image or CTAs. But then of course, there's other components that make up the site. So images can be a big one. Images yep. are how people relate, right? I mean, people scroll, we know people aren't reading through the content content there for a completely different reason, which we'll talk to about when we get to our SEO podcast, but images are what make people emotionally connected to your brand or to your product. And so having the right images is extremely important. And it doesn't come down to just having high quality images, uh, because nobody wants them to be pixely or stretched or, um, I uh, just poor quality. It's exactly. not going to relate yeah. to anybody. Yeah. But I think it's so, so important to make sure your images reflect the type of work you want to do. Exactly. And I say this more like, yeah, in the contractor. So I know we had a client who um, was a landscaper, is a landscaper and all he wants bigger or they wanted bigger jobs, um, big projects, full backyards. And the pictures that they sent us were like zoomed in pictures of interlock. Yeah. And sure, the interlock looked great, but it's this interlock patio. And so when I land on this website and I just see just interlock walkways or paths. Exactly. Well, uh, why I would you why would you think that they'll do a whole backyard for you? Because it looks like they're just doing that walkway path or, that pathway, or stairs. Yeah. And sure, they're great stairs, but it's not connecting to me. I don't see the whole picture. I don't see the entire backyard that makes me go, I want that. And so it's just, it's so important that you're picking images um, that relate to the types of work you want. Absolutely. And I think to your point, you know, different for every business, you know, different, different businesses are going to require different images. So if we're talking about somebody like a landscaper um, or somebody who really does a, a builder or a renovator who does this gorgeous, gorgeous work, we want to make sure that we're representing that work correctly. So we want to make sure that you are seeing the beautiful work, that you can see the quality craftsmanship. And at the same time, visitors who are landing on the site and seeing those sorts of images are going, oh man. You know, I want my house to look like that. These guys can, these guys like right. understand, they get the look that I want. I really got to reach out to them because I know they're going to, like, they understand what I'm going for. And that's such a huge portion. I mean, um, different, different businesses, like I said, will require different sorts of images. And some businesses might look for images more along the lifestyle side where you're seeing, you know, a happy family doing something together. And, and that is what they want to resonate with their audience. There might be some that, uh, if you're a business to business type of enterprise, instead of, you know, a, a B2C and, and those types of lifestyle images aren't going to, aren't going to fly. Those don't work very well in a B2B environment. So maybe you need to be a little bit more technical with your sorts of images. Um, but all that to say, images are still just as important, regardless of the industry. It's just making sure that you're selecting the correct images and using them appropriately is, is really going to help with uh, the user experience of your website. 
For sure. Targeting your images to your audience. And you nailed it. I'm so happy you said that. So, you know, if you are lucky enough to be in an industry, a visual industry, meaning yeah. that you create a product or service that's beautiful, you have, that's the best, right? Yes. Because there's, then you can display your work. That's all you want. And no, no hate to our HVAC friends, but like nobody wants to stare at a picture of a furnace in a basement. Exactly. So it's it's hard to make that look nice. It's hard to get somebody to emotionally connect to that furnace or that AC unit and go, oh, I want that. No. And that's where maybe you have to tie in more of the lifestyle. So do you see a family happily in front of a fireplace, enjoying the warmth of a fireplace exactly. or, you know, and try and pull in the more lifestyle images? Cause that's going to relate and uh, just have them associate, you know, a home comfort more than just a, a product image if that's all you had throughout your site. So exactly. having a variety, but yeah, having that emotional attachment. Exactly. And then, you know, something that we, that we mentioned last week in our, in our, sorry, in the last podcast was understanding your audience. And that's a huge portion of understanding what sorts of images you want to have there, right? Do you want them to aspire to be like the people they're seeing on your website? Do you want them to want what they're seeing on your website? Uh, understanding that audience is going to help you select the correct images or take the correct images and get those uploaded. So again, all factors that are just really important as, as you uh, are planning out the entire strategy holistically. So the other huge component of a website that nobody likes to do um, or even talk about is the content. There is, has to be your words on your website. Yes. We, I know nobody wants the words there. Everybody, you know, it's, it's looking cluttered and I totally get that. And from an SEO perspective, there needs to be some sort of content on there. You also have to explain to those who want to read the details and read through everything. It's important to have some information yep. in the form of words there. So I want to talk about having proper content on your website. For sure. It's, and, it's actually, it's kind of funny because just now we mentioned everybody's looking at images and most of the time we skip right past the content and we just, you know, we're just looking at the images, but that's not to say that content is not incredibly important because it really is. And, and, you know, this is what we're going to get into now, but yes, images are important, but I would say content is equally, if not, if not more important, because that's really what, what Google is, is dive, deep diving into is the content. Um, so it, as much as we say people skip right past the images, or sorry, skip right past the content to just see the images, content is still very, very important. I don't want that, that comment to be lost. No, your images are usually what grab your attention first, right? You see this beautiful thing and then now, okay. And there are some people who do read word by word. They want to, like that is a high detailed person. They want to read all the content. Um, but for those of you people who are just skimming, which I would say is majority of the people. Yes. So it's important one, of course, you need content for Google, but you're writing your content for your users. You do not run a write content. That's just stuff with keywords, or that's clearly just written for the search engines because it, it comes off as very, uh, unnatural. Yeah, I agree. And so you want to write your content, keeping your users in mind first. And that's what Google wants you to do. Google wants you to produce content that users are looking for and that they can understand. So the key being that they can understand. Correct. You don't want to write content um, that's so advanced and, and um, that no one can make sense of it. And the usual way this happens is through industry jargon and acronyms. And we are guilty of it. I think in this podcast, we probably already said four different acronyms. Definitely. <laughs> but when you're writing your web content, if you can try and write it more in layman's terms or to how your consumers would speak, It'll help them understand better. And I have a great example of this. We um, received a bunch of content back from another landscaper, actually, a few years ago. And throughout the content, they kept just mentioning hardscaping and landscaping or softscaping, hardscaping and softscaping. 
And we had to go back and say, no one's going to know what this means. And if you do know what this means, props to you, because I did not. <laughs> but, you know, like we have to speak in terms of retaining walls and interlock and then planting a different, more common terms as opposed to this hardscaping, softscaping term terminology that isn't just as common, I guess. Absolutely. And, and I agree with that because especially in, in industries where things can get a little bit more technical, you know, we use the example of HVAC all the time, similarly with landscapers and those sorts of things. Um, oftentimes, especially if you're, you know, you're reading content that's about to go up on your own website, you're scrutinizing that and being like, okay, is this correct? Is this, is this what I want to go at? Does it sound like me? And oftentimes business owners can get lost in their own understanding of their industry. And again, to, to the point you just made there, Denise, we often use those uh, acronyms uh, in the marketing industry that a lot of people don't know. And we just kind of use it as second nature. It's just part of our own vocabulary now. And so business owners do the exact same thing. And oftentimes they will, um, they will want content written that would be written for them. And it, it is important to remember that, you know, the content is not being written for the business person, particularly, um, as we mentioned, it's being written for your user. And so making sure that it's understandable for the user, making sure that it's um, something that, that they can associate with or that they, uh, it's using terms that they might understand so that they can compare it to things that they have around their space or that they've experienced in their own lives, just so that that connection is made in a much quicker and more efficient way. Because without it, again, if you land on an HVAC site, you're trying to find somebody who can help you with emergencies and they're listing off every part of an HVAC system. You're going to be like, listen, I, this is not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody who can help me get my air conditioner working because I am, it's way too hot in this house right now. Mm -hmm. That's really what you care about. So making sure that, that, you know, that type of verbiage is being used across the site so that when someone lands on it, they go, these are the ones to help me. The one exception I could see to this is if you are maybe in B2B or in a really niche, niche area, we're having really common, um, basic content will yep. will actually work in a disadvantage for you because you want to try and show your expertise that you're very familiar in that industry or in that niche. So I know with some of our, um, some more technical businesses or, you know, especially like in that B2B, you may need to drop more and have um, like more industry or, or more industry language, I guess. Yeah. Um, so just knowing who your audience are, because if you're working with maintenance managers, who know very much all the parts of different things and you're not talking to an average consumer, then of course you're going to want to include that type of technical uh, piece or content in your language. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, it's, it's echoed through everything we've said today, but again, know your audience, right? If your you audience. know your audience and you understand what they're looking for and you can write that way, provide images that way, they're just going to be able to, to click onto you immediately. Okay. So talk about, so another component to a website is that we have the images, we have your content. How beneficial would it be to have case studies or even reviews, uh, real client experiences on their website? So for me personally, and, and, and you know, this is, we, we see this all the time with websites everywhere. So incredibly important and helpful. And the reason for that is it's, it's just social proof. You've got reviews and testimonials of people saying, hey, I had a great time with these people. They did exactly what I needed. I got exactly what I needed from them. This is the business to work with. Users love seeing that on websites. And then on the case study side, it's, it's actual proof of concept. It's proof of what, what it is that you're capable of doing and what you're capable of producing. So if you can provide those sorts of things to your users, immediately they're going to say, okay, you know what? Other people have had great experiences. I can see the quality of work that they do. This is something that I'm looking for. They can dive right in. And I, again, you're, you're proving to your audience and, and anybody who's visiting your website that you are the expert. You are the person who is good at what you do. You make beautiful things. You sell great things. Uh, anything along those lines. You can really use both case studies and you know testimonials or, or reviews or anything like that to really bolster this idea that you are the company that your users want to work with. 
Yeah, I think people are just looking for it's is word of mouth gone to the digital. So people are yeah. looking for people like them and how their experiences were. And I'm sure we all can find a time. I don't think I buy anything without reading reviews anymore. I agree. Um, but I love it. And I go even further now. I look for reviews that relate to my situation. And as soon as I find one, that's like, oh, that's me. Yeah. I am sold on You're the in. spot. Yeah. I was looking at barbecue covers, like patio covers for yeah. your barbecue and going through all the different reviews. And then somebody talked about the area that I was in and the type of storms, the ice rain and everything right. that I had. And like, it was just the, the fact that they mentioned my location too. And I was like, this is perfect. If it works for them, it's going to work for me. Right. Yep. And I, and I bought it. And so, uh, you know, having a spend, and then the only way to kind of get that kind of variety is just to have as many of them as possible. Right. So having those reviews, having those case studies, having testimonials, having people talk about their experiences so that other people can try and identify with them. Mm-hmm. So important. I agree. And I mean, Ideally, put it all together. Take images of the jobs that you've done or take images of whatever you're doing. Get that as part of a case study. You know, get, get somebody's testimonial added to the case study that's talking about what a yeah. great job you did. Provide a little bit of a description about the job that you were working on or whatever it was. It's just, it's going to go so far, both for Google and for the user experience and, and people who are looking, like exactly like you said, that people who are looking for people like them who've gone through something similar and that's who they want helping them at this point. Yeah. And if you're product focused, have product specific reviews, right? Totally. Like- yeah. I love when I can see the furniture in somebody else's house. If not the Photoshop backlit, beautiful professional images, I want to see what it actually looks like in somebody's home. Exactly. Right? So yeah. having those real life photos helps so much. Right. Totally. Are you a little unsure about how your website and marketing are performing? Well, we have a special offer for our podcast listeners. All you have to do is visit our website, webroi.ca and fill out the contact form on our website. You will need to mention this podcast in the comments of the form. In return, you can get a free website analysis. So we'll actually take a look at your website, make some recommendations, and be able to set up an incredible marketing strategy for you and your business. So don't delay, check it out. Send us a form and let us know that you're interested and we'll get that analysis started. Okay. So we talked kind of about, you know, what can help your website or the pieces that you need to have on your website to help convert and kind of some of the placements and different tips in there. Let's talk technical side now. (laughs) So again, knowing who our audience is, we're going to keep it light. We're not going to dive into, uh, you know, all the nitty gritty technical components here, but there's some key factors I think that are really important when you are building a website and some of the tech that you do need to consider. One of it being speed, um, Nobody likes to sit on a slow site. So you may have, again, great marketing. You may have the best ads, the best SEO or search engine optimization that's bringing you up to the first page. Though it's likely if your website's really slow, you won't. But anyway, say you have really great marketing. It's getting people to your website and then it doesn't load or takes forever to load. People are going to bounce. Uh, absolutely correct. They're, they're going to take off and they're going to go somewhere else that actually has a website that loads. I think it was in 2018. Um, Again, my psychological side coming out. Uh, but in 2018, a study was actually done on people who are, are landing on websites and, and how, they are, how they are functioning on the website. And what they found is that people aren't willing to wait longer than six seconds for a website to load for them to be able to interact with it. Otherwise, they're going to navigate off. And this is in 2018. So that's four years ago. And I remember thinking to myself, if I had to wait for six seconds, I not only would have left already, but I would be frustrated that I had to wait those extra three seconds because six seconds for me is too long now. 
I understand that some people have more patience than I do. Um, no way. I wait six seconds. <laughs> there is no way. Now, as of 2021, it's less than two. There you That's go. the expectation. It's less yeah. than two seconds. Yeah. So if your site is not fast and anything happens that, that lapses or that time goes beyond two seconds, people are just going to hit that back button or they're going to hit the little X and they're going to go find somebody else whose website loads and they can get the, the correct information from Yeah, we're an impatient creature. Very much. Another habit, so speed, and then I think it goes without saying now, our mobile devices are prevalent. They're the majority of how the majority of internet users or website users now are mobile. Um, it used to sit around, you know, it, it's been creeping its way up, but it's well over half and has been oh, yeah. for the last while now. So goes without saying, your site needs to be mobile friendly. I'm not saying you need to have a mobile site gone to the days where you'd have m.webarmly.ca. <laughs> you'd have a completely different site for your mobile. No, no, no. You need to have a fully responsive website so that it is adaptable. We have a thousand different screen sizes for phones. You have tablets, you have laptops of all different sizes and monitors. So you just need a fully responsive website that will adapt to whatever screen size you're using. But keeping in mind, it should be the most friendly for mobile users and mobile users just being a more narrow, condensed version. Absolutely. And again, something else that is often difficult, especially for business owners, um, to really scrutinize it that way, because if it's your website and you're super proud of it, you're jumping on a desktop. You want to see it on a big screen. You want to see how beautiful this big website is. But again, to Denise's point, keep in mind, when you're looking on a monitor or on your laptop screen or whatever, you know, actual large, larger device that you're on, the screen is typically square if it's an older device, or the screen is wider than it is tall. So the screen is set up with certain dimensions that way. Now flip over to your phone. Suddenly your phone is taller than it is wide. So the actual layout of the entire website needs to completely change because it can't fit into the mold that we've created on the desktop side. So we really have to break it down or as Denise mentioned, when we, um, when we create websites, we make sure that it is, it's uh, very easy. I don't know how to describe it properly, but it's easy for it to, to move and, and shift depending adapt. on ad adapt, digitally adapt uh, so, yeah. that, so that it can fit any, any screen size. So, you know, if, if I do go from my, my, large monitor to my laptop, the, it'll change slightly. It'll, it'll still look the exact same, but it'll adapt so that it functions correctly on that screen. Then I shift from my laptop to my phone. It still needs to function correctly on my phone. I still need to be able to click on the call to action buttons. I still need to be able to scroll through, even though scrolling is now a swipe instead of a physical scroll on a, on a mouse pad or, um, or something along those lines. All of these functions need to be able to work properly. And again, if they don't, we're in the same situation that if somebody lands on your website on their phone, and it doesn't work for them, they're going to take off and they're going to go find somebody else whose website actually works properly. Yeah. And I think you, again, going back to, you have to know who your users are. So if your users, if you're a B2B and you're typically going after people who will be searching your services from their office or from their desktop, then yeah. Okay. Having the desktop, you know, is great. And maybe your desktop traffic will be higher, but we know that most of the people come from their mobile phones. Yeah. And so you know, you have a beautiful design website on desktop. That's not going to work on mobile. It's just, you can't have the beautiful video playing in the background or huge images, right? That just don't no longer fit on your smaller yeah. screen. So recognizing too, that you're going to have to change your design and probably, and forfeit some of your design features yeah. to make it more mobile friendly. Also, you need your phones to load faster. And so having a more simple um, design, getting rid of pop-ups and different things that could on a, be fine on a desktop will just annoy users on mobile. It's like, right. you have to think through that design. Yeah, totally. Experience, yeah. 
All right. Our other tech component to talk about today, too, <laughs> is um, web accessibility. It's It's been a big one the last couple of years. And um, similar to, you know, if you had a brick and mortar or a storefront, making your store accessible to anybody with a disability. So whether that be more so, I guess, if, it's, if you were having a physical storefront, being able, anybody can enter your store and shop around um, regardless of their disability. Yep. That has moved to the website. And it's moved, for your, it's moved online for years and years and years. It's just uh, living in Canada or even in Ontario, there's different legislations that came out in 2021. Um, and, and so it's just, it's one of these ramp up things about making your website accessible to anybody, regardless of their abilities or disabilities. That's right. And I mean, and so, there's, there's so many different facets of it, whether it's the actual visual aspect or, you know, there's auditory uh, aspects of it. There's, there's so much to actually dive into that um, it might not be easy for somebody to actually be able to manage all the individual little aspects of, of getting a website. I hear another <laughs> podcast coming on. It's just web accessibility. There you go. That is fully web accessible because it, it really is a lot of work. And again, as you mentioned, you know, in Ontario, if you do have a business of a certain size and your website is not fully accessible, you could be liable for, for fines or, or some legal action because it is required now by law for you to have an accessible website again for businesses of certain sizes. But this is something that, that it's not going to go away. This is, it's incredibly important. Not to mention, if you think about the actual number of individuals who, who are uh, disabled or who have uh, different abilities, you want to make sure that you are making your website available to them because they're also still leads. They're still people who may purchase from you or need to purchase from you. And you don't want to be alienating them or pushing them away because your website can't adapt or, or match their needs. Uh, it's really important that you're able to do that. And this was fascinating when I was first doing research into it and just learning about things you may not even think of, right. um, even just different color, having color gradients, being able to change the color, because maybe not everybody can identify all the colors on your website. And yeah. so your CTA button that you made a certain color isn't actually standing out like you thought it would. Right. Um, you know, you can have different components that are actually can be the flashing or different um, high movement things can be really triggering if somebody is seizure prone or different things. So that's ha having it from the front end, having being able to change your visual, even something from a magnifying. So being able yeah. to zoom in and out and change different things just makes your website exactly like you said, accessible to more people. And why wouldn't you want that? Yeah. There is the, the whole technical coding side of it too. Like you need to have your site coded properly and have all different tags, but like, we're not going to dive into that, but it is just a whole beast on its own. Um, and not, I don't have a crystal ball that, you know, looks into what Google thinks, but having an accessible website just means that more people can use it and they'll stay on your website longer, which is what Google likes. Yeah. So Google has not come out and said accessibility and your rankings are directly impacted yet, but looking down the future, I mean, it just makes sense. You want your website to be accessible to all, all yeah. users, which is what Google wants. They want you to stay on your website longer, which is what Google wants. It just wants your content, everything you're able to go through so much easier. So I have no doubt too, that the more accessible you make your website, you're not, you're not doing any harm to your SEO. We'll yeah. put it that way. Exactly. And, and I agree. I think, I think it is a really important aspect and topic that, that often gets pushed to the side because when people think about, you know, needing accessibility or needing to make sure they have an accessible website and we're not, I mean, it is for, for individuals who, you know, maybe just need to navigate the website using only their voice. That may be a, a specific case, but it goes as simple as, you know, an elderly person trying to navigate a website and the text is just too small for them. 
So giving them the ability to increase the size of the text so they can, they can read the website, they can, they can uh, interact with the website much uh, more easily, that's, that's another aspect of it. And that, that is just as important. And again, um, as, as people age, as populations age, as there's hundreds of thousands of, of potential leads and people who might need to see things a little bit larger on their screen in order to be able to, to work with you. And something as simple as giving them that functionality is not a lead for you already. Oh, yeah. If I can go to a website where I'm able to go through the content and see it as I should or have yeah. as to my ability, that's going to stand out way ahead than your competition who doesn't. Absolutely. So there's a huge opportunity there too. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So let's say you, you did some of this stuff. You, you know, took, you took notes during our podcast. You wanted to change up. You, you did some changes and now you're thinking, okay, how do I know if it's working or, yeah. or what am I, what do I do? For all of this so this is all great but how do we could we do better what's the next step so i want to talk about you know some testing um and some different testing that you can do to your website yep. to see how well it's converting or if it could be doing better absolutely so let's start with heat mapping so a heat mapping tool for those who don't know is a visual graphic that can trace users behavior on your website so uh, usually through your mouse so it will track your mouse movement and then produce this graphic that shows the high traffic areas in different colors yeah. or uh, like hot zones. So if you think of like a, oh, what is that? Like a, help me out here. The, the heat, when you see like the body, the infrared is it? Oh yeah. Right, where you see like, you know, your, your hottest areas are like the yes. bright red and then yeah. when it gets cooler. Yeah, so you can pretty much get a, a, a picture that even just looks like that where it'll show like in the bright red, where people hovered their mouse the longest, where their mouse movement was, all the way to where you know nobody really clicked. How can this information be helpful? How, what can you do with the heat map? Well, there's a lot that you can do with it. Because <laughs> using, again, exactly, exactly how you define it there, you know, we're, with this heat map, you're actually seeing where people are clicking or where their, their mouse is going to expect to click. So let's say, for example, using what we talked about much earlier on in, the, in, in our discussion about contact info. And we, we place a phone number on the website and we said, okay, you know what? We're going to make it look kind of fancy. We're going to put the phone number kind of midway down the page and people can call it once they get to that point. Well, we're likely going to see people's mouse, uh, mouse or mice uh, move from the top left of the screen over to the top right because they're looking for a contact us button or they're looking for a phone number or something. And if it's not there and it's, it doesn't register a click, then we're going to see their mouse going elsewhere, continuing to look for this and kind of move along the page to find that sort of information. So I, I believe there, there's so many things that we can glean from, from these heat maps because it's, it's telling us, again, like we, like we keep saying, know your audience. It's giving us more information and allowing us to learn about our audience and learn about the way that they look, the way that they move and they navigate with the website. And we wanna make sure that we are making it easy for them by using that. Yeah. And I think sometimes too, when you look at your website or you look at designs, you kind of come numb to it. Like you, yeah. you, of course it makes sense to you because you've seen it so long. And so sometimes we'll put a heat mapping on and then you see this like high traffic area that, some, that someone's, a lot of people think they should yeah. be a clickable button. Like say it's a picture or, or something that um, people think should click and go yep. to something else. And you put a heat mapping on and you go, oh, obviously like this is a 
a heavy traffic or a high traffic um, area. Yep. So let's make this, let's put a button here. Let's make this image clickable. Maybe it looks like it should be clickable. Yeah. And therefore it brings you to another important page that maybe leads to more information yeah. or the difference. Maybe you have this coupon or something that is clickable, but it doesn't look like it. So nobody actually knows that they should be clicking on it. They're just scrolling right past it. Okay. How do we make this coupon stand out more? How do we make it look like a button? How do we un get people to understand that this is a clickable thing that they can get? Yeah. So there's so much analysis you can get from heat mapping. Um, totally. And there's like, like yeah, just like just things again that you can glean from it. If if we've got something that looks like a button, people are trying to click on it and it's not, they're you know, they're moving around. We can see that they're moving away from it because it's not and it should be. Now we also recognize, well, we might be frustrating our, our users now because they're getting to the website, totally. they're seeing something they want to click on, they're trying to click, they're probably trying a few times to click, and it's not going anywhere. Well, now you're frustrating your potential customer, your potential lead, and that could at the end of the day hurt a little bit or, or even you know, risk losing a, a possible lead. So those sorts of things is why these sorts or these kinds of tests are so important. And you know, there's another one that we do as well uh, called split testing, um, or you know, we often refer to it as A-B testing. And again, similar sort of situation. It's the goal is to know our audience better, so find out as much as we can from them. And I guess kind of the way you can think about it is we're almost using the audience or the users on this website as test subjects. They're the ones who are actually putting the work in and we're, we're learning from their behaviors. Um, and so, you know, split testing or A-B testing kind of does that as, as well. Yeah. So how split testing works is you have your original. So you're looking at something you want to test up against each other. It can be an image. It can be a button. It could be a color. It could be text. But let's use an example of a call to action button. So you have this big blue call to action button. And when you have a split test, you have the original, which would be the blue, and you put it up against a variant, which would say be green. Oh, variant's a scary word these days for <laughs> the last two years, but we're going to go with it anyway. Um, so you have the variant. And so when users visit your website, they'll be showed one or two versions. They'll either be showed the original blue or the variant of green. And then you have to let this test run long enough so that you get a good enough sample size and you'll start to see, okay, is one converting more than the other? So buttons, color has a whole different psychology around, you know, more people relate to different colors, but let's say that there is a clear winner of one button over the other, then you can say, okay, I think we should make this change or try a different test. Right. I give, I'll give the example because it's actually happened on our own website. So we have our website and we go with a race car theme. So win the race online is our tagline. And we had this landing page with a big banner and uh, the CTA button on the banner. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was here. So the original CTA button on the banner. So we wanted people to contact us yeah. and we had the text being start your engines. Yes. And here we thought, you know, we're being all cute and punny because it's, it's a race you know, themed page, start your engines, like get started with us. People will get it. It's cute. No one clicked on it. No, nobody. And we should know better. We should, we should know to not try. We should be more direct and to the point, but you know, we want to try though is with our own sites. We thought, you know, it's a fun thing. We can try to be a little bit more marketing. And that's a good example of how oftentimes people who are in the business get so absorbed <laughs> in it. We, we sometimes miss the, the reality behind it. And this is a good example of that. And, and yeah, we, we were we able to, to step out. We had to. Yeah. We, we preach to our clients all different times. And then when it comes to us, like, oh, we can go with our, yep. our little punny saying, no, it didn't work. So then we changed out, start your engines with just the good old get in touch, right? Tried, true, tested. So we ran the split test for a while. We ran start your engines versus get in touch. So when someone would come to that landing page, they'd see one of two versions and we let it run and we got to see, okay, what produces better results? 
and get in touch got twice as many clicks as yep. start your engines and yeah, frankly, I think people just didn't know what it meant. They didn't yep. know what we wanted them to do. Um, and so it was pretty clear indication to us say, okay, let's swap that button out. Let's put it back and get in touch. It gets more people contacting us, which is yep. what our end goal was. And it, we had the data to support it. So, That's right. so again, just, just so incredibly important. And, and then particularly, you know, as a, as a business, it's also just interesting to find out, okay, well, how, like, what do your audience or how does your audience actually respond best? And split testing, as Denise said, you know, there's, it's not just on buttons like this. Like it's not just changing the color of a button or changing the text of a button. It could be anything, right? There's so many different aspects that we could be testing. You know, if coming back to funnels, you could try a different image on the funnel itself if one does better than the other. So many different areas like that allows you to glean more information from your audience and allows you to understand the way that your audience works best so that in turn, you can shift some of your processes and your strategy to meet them where they are and just increase the likelihood of, of making a sale or working with those people. You can even test the action of a click. So you can have different paths. So say somebody clicks on a button and takes them to one page, you can test it if it takes them to an entirely different page yeah. and to see which one would work better. Um, so yeah, I think the more data, the more data that you can have, the more you can use it to your advantage to just continuously improve. Because that's the whole point is no, it's never just a put it up there and it's done, right? You can always be improving. You can always be getting better. You can always have more conversions or just continuously testing to see what will get you the most converting. Yeah, upside. absolutely. I agree. And, and, you know, to think about this, this discussion as a whole, we're talking about conversion rate optimized websites. And I think what I'm hearing from you right now is that that's not a one-time thing. You don't only do that when you're building the website. This needs to be an ongoing process. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of core things when you're doing the structure to set it up, but then why not strive for better? Why not strive for more? And that's where you can continuously use this stuff and, and staying on top of what you need to be doing. Um, things like accessibility and those legislations that come out and, you know, the different um, updates and algorithm updates and how that affects your website, I think yeah. is really important to, uh, to stay on top of. I agree completely. All right. Well, I think we've, uh, covered everything for a converting website. I think so. I mean, there's definitely more we could have got into more detail with, but we got to keep it, uh, we got to keep it fun. We're trying to keep it general. Um, you know, we're open to suggestions. So if you ever check us out on social head to our website, we're always open to, you know, new topics, but we'll just continue our way. Um, focusing on some of our key services or some of our key, um, marketing strategies that we, yeah. we feel get people the best return on investment. Cause that's what we're here to do. And that's what we're here to share. So we'll uh we'll continue on path that's right but yeah thank you everyone for listening do you need help with your digital marketing for your business contact the experts at web roi and get ahead of your competition visit our website at webroi.ca or give us a call at 18777 web roi Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you get notified every time a new episode drops.